You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on All of the Books. I'm Dean Maniat. Um, joining me for the first time, you can hear Frank Madden and Eric um, Nahum. Nahum. I can't spell that name. You just said it. Oh, okay. That was the first. That was our first guest intro ever, right, Eric? Yeah, we've never done that before. Uh, this is not locked on all the bucks, no matter how much Dean may want it to be. Uh, this is locked on bucks. I'm Eric Name. Joining me as always is my good friend Frank Madden, and also joining us is our good friend Dean Maniot. You probably know him as at all the bucks. He is not a sentient basketball robot. Uh, he <laughs> is. Uh, well, actually, I don't know. I'm well, not. Seeing, may, I'm not be, seeing him may. right now. I'm just talking to him uh, over Skype. So it, it could be a program that is so so well done that I can't even tell the difference. But uh, we believe him to be an actual person, uh, and he's going to break down the bucks with us a little bit tonight. Uh, he's got some interesting stuff coming out at Brew Hoop uh, in the next. I think this week, Dean said on Tuesday. So uh, once the week gets started, you should have some of that uh, at Brew Hoop on Tuesday, and we are very happy to have him. Dean, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, guys. Uh, I just want to say that uh, I am actually in the future because it's 2018 where I am. Yes, it's 2 a.m. Thank you. <laughs> Same to you in about like three hours for you. Yeah, where? So, so just to give people some background. So, you told us that you're in a uh, closet. Uh, to question yourself <laughs> for for audio reasons. Um, you're in a closet in Italy with some wine, I believe. Um, but get, give maybe so. So it's funny. I mean, Eric alluded to it, but you know, I, I, I we didn't know who you were for a long time. You're, you know, this at all the Bucks Twitter account started. I don't know. I don't know when, but maybe you just give us some background on. You know yourself. I mean, you, you you don't sound like someone. You're not. It doesn't sound like you're. From, is that is that a Sheboygan accent? I don't, I don't know. Maybe you can break down how you you know where where you are right now and and how you became a Bucks fan. And um, obviously, we we've been curious for a while. And I know I've been retweeting you for so long. But give the folks maybe a little bit of background. Obviously, we we know your a lot of your thoughts on the Bucks. But let us know. Take the pull pull the curtain back a little bit on on who Dean is and and how we got to to right now talking about the Bucks. I'm very excited to talk about myself. Um, <laughs> okay, right now I'm in Italy. I'm in a closet, like you said. I'm surrounded by a unicorn plushie. I'm a Nerf hoop with Michael Jordan. <laughs> I was uh, actually, <laughs> I'm uh, half French, half English. I was born in Castleford uh, in England. I moved when I was two to Lyon in France, and then I moved when I was six to Wisconsin. That's how I started watching the books. Um, then back to Lyon when I was 12. And after that, when I got, uh, when I was uh, 19, I moved to Zagreb in Croatia and I started working. I'm working 
in uh, some EU embassies as a cultural consultant, which means that I just, you know, meet with people and tell them what's wrong with the way they're acting in a specific <laughs> country, which is, you know, the, my favorite thing in the world to do. Yeah, based on based on your breakdowns of, of game film, it seems like it translates into basketball <laughs> as well. So. <laughs> That's what I do. It's why I'm so excited to do it. <laughs> and, I, well, and I was going to ask, so like, and so you're, you're watching these games because you're in Europe, obviously, most of this time when, when we're all watching these, you know, during normal hours. So, I mean, this is, this is a, a real a love for you, right? I mean, you're not, you know, obviously you're, you're staying up late many times at night to, to do this, which I think is sometimes why you're not, you don't always watch live, I guess. But, um, but I, I just want to give you a shout out because I know we have fans all over the world of the Bucks, Aussies, Europeans, etc. But it sounds like you are, are one of the most, you, your, your dedication level is far higher than ours. We have it easy, I guess. <laughs> I'm the best at doing it. Um, the only time I might not watch a game live is when I've just, you know, traveled across the Atlantic. Um, like a couple of weeks ago when I was in Canada, and I was jet lagged, so I couldn't watch the uh, the Chicago game, the first Bulls oh, game. Good for you. Yeah, I was very unlucky <laughs> to do it. Um, but yeah, usually I just you know stay up late, take a nap at like um, I don't know 10 p.m. and then get up to watch the games. Okay, so I was gonna I was gonna say I was gonna ask if you just like stay up all night and then just get like if you're one of these people who can just function on like four hours of sleep. But it sounds like at least you. <laughs> I, I, I don't know if you have kids, but it sounds like your lifestyle would. It's basically like the bucks are a baby that just wakes you up in the middle of the night and keeps you <laughs> up and, you know, gives you indigestion and, and bad sleeping patterns. But um, <laughs> I'm saying what a disappointing baby. Like, oh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, it's uh, as you said, I, I don't have any kids. I do. <laughs> I sleep quite less than I should, <laughs> but it's fine. I like watching the books. They're a great team. They're so fun. I like that coach. Um, what's his name? <laughs> <laughs> he gives you a lot to think about, doesn't he? He's a great coach. I think he's very <laughs> underestimated. <laughs> well, let, let, so let's ask you about this team. So, I mean, you have charted, I, I jokingly referred to you as uh, the human sport view uh, based on some of the like breakdowns. And now you're doing these um like shot charts based on like where the ball starts and, you know, like movement of balls and things like that and how many passes it takes to get a shot and things like that. Um, I know you've got a, I, I, I feel like you, you kind of rocketed into Bucks nation's conscience by your breakdowns of sort of what the Bucks are doing defensively, but maybe, maybe let's start. And I don't know how much you want to get into it. Um, Cause you do have a, a series starting this week on the offense, but I, I don't know. I mean, what, what is your, like, what's a sneak preview of what you're sort of seeing offensively from this team? Cause I think generally, you know, Eric and I feel like, you know, the offense is not maybe terribly imaginative, but, you know, obviously the results have been generally pretty good based on just the talent being there. But I, I don't know. I mean, what do you see from this offense now that you've kind of like really dug into it now that you're, that you're starting to work on this series? Well, um, as you said, the offense generally is fine. The Bucks, Bucks are, um, I think, ninth right now in offensive rating. Um, the problem is that, as I was doing the article for what's going to come out on Tuesday, I think, um, if you break down the offense by quarters, um, the fourth quarter is the Bucks' worst. They're ranked uh, between, right now I think they're at, uh, 22nd in off- offensive rating in the fourth quarter. Um, the main problem is when Giannis is off the court. And it's insane because it well, when the season started, 
Um, when Giannis was off the court, the offense was, you know, horrible in general. But as the games went on, the, the gap started to close for the first three quarters, though. And the fourth quarter is different. It's like uh, the offensive rating is, uh, I think, around 85 when Giannis is off the court Woof. in the fourth quarter, which is terrible. And I was trying to figure out why that's going on. And if you check, you know, the charting that you mentioned, you can see that there's very few passes or passes that have no purpose in the offense. They don't lead to, you know, an efficient shot. And that ties to um, a part of the article that I wrote. Is, um, if you check, I, have, I created some metrics, which are the expected points per shot for each team, which comes from, you know, taking into account each player in the team. So that means it doesn't matter if Giannis takes, you know, 20 shots and Vaughn takes us two. Each player has one number that's weighed equally with the other. And that shows that the box are ranked, I think, uh, 20th in expected point per shot generation, which means that in general, the offense doesn't produce quality shots all around the roster. So that's one problem. And when Giannis is off the court, that's exa- exaggerated. And another one is if you look at the points per shot generated by each player, um, it's the same thing. The Bucks are ranked, I think, 18th, which means that not all the players in the team can make shots. If you look at the top five of offenses in the league, um, like yeah, I don't know, the Rockets or the Warriors, um, they have many players who can make shots, and the Bucks do not. And that's a problem that, you know, shows in the fourth quarter. Either with Yanis on when he's, you know, dead tired from playing 59 minutes in the rest of the game, or when Yanis is off, when there's no movement to the offense. To put a little bit of color, I'm just looking at the, the splits by quarter. The Bucks are plus six points per 100 in the first quarter, minus 0.5, so basically even in the second quarter, then plus 6.4 in the third quarter, and then minus 9.8 in the fourth quarter. And I, I mean, like I wouldn't be shocked if like offensive ratings maybe go down just in general in the fourth quarter, just because, you know, st- game tends to slow down a little bit and things like that. But obviously like, I mean, they're giving up a one eleven point eight rating in the fourth quarter, which is by far their worst. And their offense is scoring one Oh two, which is well below their average of close to one Oh eight points per 100. So just to kind of lay it out for people. I mean, it's not just like a, Oh, they're not quite as good in the fourth quarter. I mean, they're, they're way worse. And I think that the the interesting thing, and I don't know how much you've looked at it, Dean, is we've talked also about, I mean, the the their clutch stats, which is just the you know periods when it's last five minutes plus or minus five points. I mean, those those minutes they've been surprisingly good, especially relative to last year when they were terrible. Um, but it is interesting that you know for whatever reason overall, as you said, like it's just been really bad. And Eric, I think I cut you off there. I talked to Dean about this. I DM'd with DM uh, and we were talking a little bit about uh, just the fact that those are the, it just feels like anecdotally, it feels like those are the moments where Chris really throws on the conductor hat of the tough shot express and just really tries to force that ball through the basket through a series of, I mean, just very difficult mid-range step-back shots. And it's. I thought it was interesting that the numbers would show something similar to what I think when you're looking at the eye test, you would think pretty much the same thing, that in the fourth quarter, the Bucks' ball movement kind of slows down and guys try to go a little bit more uh, one-on-one by themselves. Yeah, this is exactly what's happening. Um, if you check my 
uh, analysis on the expected shot value. Um, Middleton is actually taking some of the worst shots in the league for his position. I think he's ranked in the bottom five for forwards. Um, his shot selection is very bad in general, and it's just exacerbated in the fourth quarter. Yeah, and uh, I mean, uh, I think... What is it, Frank? We've written thousands of words at this point about how uh, <laughs> how Middleton should be used differently, and how it would be great to kind of use him as a souped up version of, or I shouldn't say a souped up version, but just a version of Clay Thompson, where uh, you're using him off ball more, you're using him uh, to shoot a bunch of threes per game. And I'm curious, Dean, when you look at the expected points per shot, I think that was the number or the metric uh, that you had created. Looking at that, I would assume that the Bucks and their just general lack of three-point shooting probably hurts that number quite a bit, right? Like, just the fact that they don't shoot as many threes as other teams, and uh, at, since they've added Bledsoe, that's gone down a little bit, where they aren't shooting uh, as many threes as they did at the start of the season. Does that affect that number? Yeah, they're the only top ten offense that's ranked in the bottom ten of expected um, shot value. So, it does make sense. The I just the conclusion that I reached, you know, from studying the ah, the offense and the Bucks in general is that the Bucks are so good on offense because Giannis is amazing and because Middleton is making shots that he shouldn't be making. I guess that to me that does make I, I think logical sense that. You, if you think about the way the Bucks beat teams, that Giannis is incredible, and I think the thing you always marvel at with Chris is the fact that he does hit those tough shots. So um, that does, uh, I guess, to me, add up offensively. Um, one thing I wanted to your usage charts that you've created are, are very interesting to me, and if you haven't seen them, go check out uh, Dean's stuff at all the Bucks on Twitter. And what you can see is they're essentially charts that he's created that show half-court basketball, and then uh, passes, first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh passes of possessions, uh, all in different colors, and then it shows drives, and it shows where passes are going and stuff like that. And I'm curious, I know we've talked a little bit about uh, what you can attempt to tell from that, and I'm just curious what you think you've learned as you've mapped some of that stuff out and, and what it tells you about the Bucks. Well, uh, it's a small sample. Well, the only thing that I can simply say is that you can spot a difference between the offense in the first, second, third, and fourth quarters. I mean, if you look at the first and third ones, where the starters are playing mostly, you can see, see that there are fewer passes, um, which is not always a bad thing. If you check my game against the Cavaliers, uh, you can see that the Cavs are mostly, you know, doing one, two, three passes, and then there's a shot, which is usually a sign of efficient offense. And many passes are not always a good thing. Uh, when it's the second and fourth quarter, when, you know, the bench gets in mostly, you can see that there are more passes, but they're in locations that don't make much sense. They don't lead to, you know, a natural progression of the offense that's going to generate three-point shot or, you know, a layup or a dunk. So, Dean, I mean, as you've been looking at this, I mean, obviously none of us are mastermind, uh, you know, offensive coaches who've been, you know, doing this for a million years. But, well, you might be a mastermind. I, I am not. But, uh, but like, when you think about this, I mean, a big question, I mean, a lot of people complain about the Bucks offense. I, I see very few people ever really provide much sort of 
prescription, uh, like prescriptions for how to improve it or like things, things to do better. Um, and, and that can be either, you know, just sort of generally like, you know, general ideas about where you're shooting and, and who's taking the shots or, you know, more like sort of tactical X's and O's stuff. I mean, what, what kind of have you come away with this thinking of, you know, what, you know, if, if you had your five minutes in the room with Jason Kidd and for some reason he actually wanted to listen to you, which of course he wouldn't, um, <laughs> like what would he? What would, he <laughs> what, what would like? What would you want to convey? Or I mean, if you're if you're in the in the huddle and you know you have to convey something to to these players about how they should be playing. And I mean, what what do you think is the difference? And maybe it's as simple as trying to do more things that they do uh, earlier in games. But I, I don't know. I mean, what what's sort of your your thought on that? Um, understanding that you know <laughs> uh, we're a basketball team, and when you you know set a pick that's so low. That's you know it's inside the three point line. It's not great. It's gonna end up in a two point shot. So you know, understanding that we have to not do it, just put some energy in it. Um, but in all seriousness, I think that the box uh, should be more focused on setting picks higher. That's very basic. It's not you know strategic or anything. It's just having the pick go a bit higher so that the player coming off a screen or curling behind the screen is gonna be. Is going to end his motion, and the momentum is going to carry him straight to the three-point line. Um, there is the use Yanis more as a ball handler, because as much as it's, it, you know, it doesn't really affect the offense if Yanis is gonna, you know, bring the ball up the court. I think that um, it usually leads to some very good looks for the team, just because of his amazing gravity. Um. I would stop Delhi from taking shots, you know, with his foot on the line. Frank, Frank got excited there for a second because he thought you were going to say Delhi should stop taking shots. Period. That, that no, on the no, line no. really, really tricked him. He's actually been. I've, I've, and the crazy part is, like, I don't even know if he hit it. I mean, we're we're not going to get deep into. Uh, well, we can talk separately about the the games this weekend, which obviously we're we're very positive results, but um, I was kind of shocked because, like, I, did he even score against the Thunder? And, like, it actually, like, seemed like he helped the offense just because he, like, I don't know, wasn't making kind of, like, weird decisions. I think he may have had, like, nine assists no, or something. But. Yeah, he had nine assists and uh, no field goals. He didn't yeah. make, I think he didn't even attempt a shot. Maybe he did yeah. one or something. But, no, uh, I have a secret admiration for Delhi. Um, it's weird because I think he has amazing chemistry with Yanis on the mm. pick and roll. Uh, he's just, you know, not a good player, so it doesn't make any much of a difference <laughs> for the team. But, I mean, if Delhi could be, you know, Bledsoe, uh, skill-wise, it would be amazing because he has amazing chemistry with Giannis. So one thing you mentioned there, Dean, was using Giannis more. And I know that's a kind of a topic that Frank and I always talk about in that I think the Bucks use Giannis in a number of ways. Uh, the, they get him some different looks and they give him a variety as to where he touches the ball and kind of does that. And I'm curious, would the the stats that you've tracked say those same things? Would would what I'm seeing anecdotally, anecdotally match up to what you're seeing? And also, on top of that, what ways would you use him more? How would you try to use him more offensively? Okay, I have an example of that. Um, if you remember, Eric, um, when Bledsoe came to the team in the first few games, 
Giannis had a lot of paint touches, yep. um, but his efficiency was way down. And that's because those touches were not efficient touches. They were just, you know, touches that ended up you know, him being doubled or anything. Um, it's the same thing when he gets the ball in the post or at the elbow. If there is no movement, if there is no outlet that makes sense, then that touch is nothing for the team. It's it just, you know, takes away seconds from the offense. Mm-hmm. Uh, the point is that if you check the first quarter against the OKC, um, you can see that Giannis had like five assists or six. Yep, five, I think. Yeah. And that's because they had shooters which were, you know, moving around the same side as Giannis. And that's it. that creates more pressure to the defense. Uh, I think there was this um, play that... Uh, I don't remember his name now. It's an assistant coach by the Grizzlies who showed uh, how the Bulls defended Giannis in the last game. And it shows that Giannis was in the post. He was doubled. And the person closest to him was Bledsoe. And that's, you know, wrong positioning because the the person that should be there is Middleton. Because when the outlet pass comes, the first person should be a shooter. And the second one, the one that rotates too, should be one who can drive because usually the second player is the one who can, you know, get a hard close out and drive the basket. Mm. That's just, you know, a simple remedy to some of the stuff that the Bucks do. And uh, generally when Giannis gets touches, it's, you know, they're good touches because he's amazing, but they could be better. And if you check the um, expected shot value for Giannis, it's actually a bit higher than the points he's generating right now. Which is pretty insane because he's taking some great shots. I mean, like fifty something percent of shots are at the rim. So with so is it using? I get. I'm just trying to think it through. Is it trying to use Giannis more or trying to use Giannis better? Do you think? Like, is it just the fact that you need to make his touches uh, more useful? Ah, uh, it's the second one. I, I think my my, I think the thing that that has frustrated me most, and and I think this is a a big piece of like why. Like the idea of like point Giannis isn't really much of a thing anymore. Is like when he gets the ball and he's dribbling the ball up, and you know it's it. I mean, obviously the the fundamental thing if if you can't run a pick and roll as a ball handler, you can't really create value as a pick and roll um, ball handler. It's it's hard obviously to be like a primary ball handler, and obviously this is why like you know somebody like Delhi has to be a terrific passer because he can't like shoot create shots for himself out of pick and roll. Um, but like with Giannis, it seems like. Teams can just so, I mean, the best, it seems like the best thing that typically happens when Giannis gets a pick and roll as a ball handler is like he'll get a switch and then he can maybe attack a switch of a smaller guy if they're doing like an inverted pick and roll. I mean, this is where Delhi is good, right? As a, as a, as a screener, right? Don't give him the ball. <laughs> um, but he's obviously a, he's a dirty little <laughs> scrappy screener. And it seems like the best, the best plays are sort of when they do the, when they try to get into something really quick, maybe before a team really understands what's happening and Delhi kind of sneaks up behind Giannis's guy and just sort of like before the guy even knows what's happening and then you know you're requiring Delhi's man to usually try to defend Giannis and you know he's got to you know that guy is usually quick enough and a lot of times they just sort of like can just if they know it's coming they just sort of hedge and Giannis you just kind of like picture you guys can probably picture this where Giannis just sort of like wants to attack but then he just sort of like dribbles back and obviously like you know going backwards out of a pick and roll is like the worst kind of thing you can do and um you know he you know, I, I can't remember him like you know throwing a lob out of a pick and roll since 
I don't know, maybe he did it last year at some point. He did it with Plumley like a couple years ago a, a fair bit. Um, but it, it doesn't seem like pick and roll is really like they've been really able to unlock him much like as a ball handler, bringing the ball up the court unless he's just attacking a not set defense. I, I mean, Dean, is, is there a is there something that you've seen them that that maybe that could help to unlock his abilities there a bit more where I don't know if maybe the point Giannis idea could could be better used or, um, it, you know, again, obviously, you know, you put the ball in his hands before the defense is set, that's always, there's always a chance he's going to be able to, to get a, get, get away to the basket just because he's so freaking talented. But, um, I, I don't know. I mean, what, what do you think? And not to make this a point Giannis discussion, but, um, is there something that you can think of with Giannis sort of dribbling the ball up, bringing the ball up that you'd want to try to see the Bucks try to do more often or, um, uh, you know, what, what, what do you think on that? So as you mentioned, I, the, the problem with Giannis, bringing the ball up is that they try to go to a set or just, you know, basic pick and roll. Um, if Giannis just, you know, drives to the basket without anything being between, instantly there's some gravity generated yep. and the defense bends. That's the best way to use Giannis as, a, you know, a ball handler. He can just drive to the basket and then you make a pass. It's not about, you know, making shots for himself. It's about making shots for others. Yeah, and that's, I think that's the irony, right, is that Literally, that's like the, the the easiest, simplest thing is just basically not even do. I mean, because because I, I know what you're thinking, right? Like I remember the first time Giannis was sort of like the nominal point guard. I think it was like maybe the year before he kind of had his point Giannis thing. And it was like it was against Washington and like, you know, all the point guards were hurt or something. And it was like, oh, point Giannis, point Giannis. And then it just ended up being like Giannis dribbled up, passed to the guy at the elbow, run a corner series. Right. And it's just like, well, that's not really point Giannis. But, um, yeah. you know, it's like, oh, who cares? That's not interesting. Um, but it's, but you know, it's basically the Bucks seem to do basically sort of like that, like corner series or pick and roll. And I, but I think it's really interesting because like the idea of like, well, why run anything with, with Giannis? <laughs> like you don't even need to, right? Like if he can't get drive by, then put his backside into the guy and, you know, use, try to, try to post up whatever. But I think that's a really interesting idea. And, um, it, it's amazing how little we see that, uh, you know, aside from just Giannis just in transition when, you know, it's just sort of chaos and he's just forcing the defense to, you know, throw four or five guys. As you say that, off. Frank, what I'm thinking of is just kind of LeBron. Like, LeBron is just an offensive system yeah. onto himself, right? Like, there are times where LeBron won't really, like, there won't be some elaborate set. It'll just be LeBron catching on the wing and saying, all right, I'm going to back this guy down. But but like Dean said, that does create gravity there. Um, and it's really interesting uh, to think about better ways to do them. With that transition note that you mentioned about, um, and it's something that I always try to, to talk about during games is pace and whether or not pace is, the Bucks actually push the pace. They don't. Um, but whether or not they do that, and then there'll be these moments now when Delhi comes back, since he's come back, where in transition he'll just randomly decide, like, okay, I'm going to set a pick-and-roll screen here. Like, I'm just going to – this is not the offense. This is not the set we are going to try to get into. Like, in transition, I'm just going to hop in and do that. That feels very successful. Like that that feels like something that really bends defenses. Is there a way that you can attempt to, you know, make that systematic that that is how you start your your transition breaks? I was just trying to think of other teams around the league. Like I, I think of Houston obviously. There's so many times where right away in transition, they're right into it with Harden. Like there's going to be an immediate pick and roll and you better be ready uh because otherwise he's just going to get an easy look. Yeah, it would make much sense to do that, but it makes too much sense for the Bucks to do it. And I think one of the interesting things too is, is one of the things I've just sort of heard anecdotally is just like 
that the Bucks sort of uh, sometimes like, you know, from like a coaching and just sort of like what they want to do. And I think this ties into just the identity, like what is this team's identity and how hard it's been to try to figure that out. Um, that it seems like even like, you know, some nights they shoot a bunch of threes and it's great. And, you know, Jason Kidd sort of sarcastically says like, oh, we're a three point shooting team now. Or maybe he's not being sarcastic. Who knows? Right. Um, and then other nights, like if they don't go in, then it's like, well, we didn't move the ball enough. We got to move the ball. We got to be more patient, whatever. And it's like, well, either you're going to, you know, either your your philosophy is we have the green light, right? I mean, you watch Houston, Trevor Ariza always has a green yep. light, right? <laughs> like, um, you know, I think Ben Thompson, you know, mentioned this a couple, like a year ago, said something like the effect of, you know, Snell should should model himself sort of after Ariza um, or that like could be sort of his like, you know, the the like what you'd want him to be. And um, I think Tony has started, I mean, we saw it in the OKC game, like he just was shooting, you know, if he got, if he had a shred of, of, of light, he was going and, um, and unfortunately, I mean, you know, part of it maybe his personnel bucks don't have like Brogdon Delhi and their, you know, the, the revolutionary war muskets <laughs> or whatever, like it's harder for them to, sh- it's harder for them to shoot quickly. Um, but it's also just like the mindset thing, like other than Mirza, who obviously who knows if or when he'll be back um, and Snell, it just seems like everybody is is much more hesitant. And I think Chris has maybe started to at times like show more of yeah. that quick trigger from three, which obviously we've been you you in particular Eric, have been begging for for years. Um, but it's still just like I, I, I do feel like they're like on nights when the ball, like, the shots don't go in. Um, I still feel like there's probably and, and it's from fans too, right? It's like, well, you know, like they're they're settling for too many like three pointers or whatever. And obviously maybe they don't have the ideal personnel to shoot tons and tons of threes. But um, you know, as Dean mentioned, like, you know, the Bucks are kind of succeeding in spite of their lack of three point shooting. And you know, I, I would argue I mean, and I don't think I'm anybody who's like analytically minded, I don't think is gonna considered this much of a revelation but you know I, I would argue that they should be shooting more right i mean you look at you know it's just the basic math right like um i, I want to check and see what jan's shooting on long twos right now um but like there's such a and i see it too like on tv like like broadcasters like if Giannis shoots a quick three sometimes it's like oh that's not a good shot it's like well he shoots what being 27 percent on on threes right now right well okay so that's like a point point eight one expected value shot well, what is he shooting on long twos, right? I mean, we don't really get on the honest for shooting long twos, and part of that's because you know sometimes he has to like probe, and if he doesn't have it, then he'll he'll take a pull up. But I mean, he's shooting thirty two percent on long twos. That's that's way worse than a twenty seven percent three. And even if he was shooting forty percent on long twos, which is a very respectable number, it's still not worth as much as shooting twenty percent on a three. So I, do I don't know. I mean, do I, you not do you have that number? You told me a, a number about that. Yeah, uh, do you I have do. it in front of you. Yeah, give me a second. I have from the 24th of uh, December. I haven't updated it. I'm going to say the number in points per shot, which is if, essentially if you know you got a two-point shot, you just double the full goal percentage. Okay, he's generating um, from the mid-range between 10 and 16 feet, seven uh, 0.732 points per shot. Between 16 feet and the three-point line, he's generating um, 0.606 points per shot and from three where he's shooting 25.27.5 percent he's generating 0.8825 points per shot so even with his you know a very low field goal percentage from three he's still generating more points if he takes a three-point shot yeah and like we've seen him we've talked about it right i mean teams also like you can say oh he's 27 percent, so teams should just let him shoot that shot but i mean especially if he makes one of those 
for the rest of the game, even sometimes when he doesn't make one of them, if he pump fakes, teams will teams. I mean, teams are guys want to challenge shots. Hashtag right? shot so like, you know, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that, that's the other piece, right? I mean, he, he's not good at it, but it's better, you know, that Dean's numbers show. I mean, it's clearly even his bad three point percentage is worth more than his mid range shots. And granted, I mean, some of that is, you know, him like probing. And then if he doesn't have a shot or it's late clock, like, you know, he's going to put up a shot. And that's also kind of a keeping a defense honest thing. But, um, but yeah, I mean, that's kind of thing. That's why I like, you know, he's, it especially seems like early in games, like, you know, he'll, he'll sometimes like try to just like, it's almost, I think this happened a couple of times where it's like off of a, like an, like a side out or something. And it's like, almost like he decides like, okay, if I'm, if I get the ball, I'm going to shoot. I'm not going to think about it. Cause I think when he thinks everything gets worse. Um, and it's like, I'm just going to put up a, th- a three and it just seems like his motion looks way cleaner when he just is like, I'm shooting this three versus when he's dribbling. He's like, Oh, should I put up a three or, you know, or if I have a bunch of, you know, I, I don't know, but not to belabor it, but I think we're all yeah, sort of I was gonna say, that's the old Middleton play. Like that used to be where Middleton, the few, one of the few times where Middleton would for sure shoot a three was that sideline on a bounce where you toss it into essentially it's like corner series, except extended out a little bit further. So you throw it into the big and then the inbounder just kind of makes a pretty basic cut and, gets a wide open three and it used to be Middleton. And that was, like I said, one of those times where Middleton clearly had a green light. And I'm almost to the point where it's like, all right, if there's a sideline out of bounds in the first quarter, Giannis shoot the three. Like that's, that's just what you need to do to try to get some of those three point attempts up. So um, it'll be interesting to see what they do there. Dean, any more thoughts offensively before we move on to the defense? Uh, just one more thing. Uh, there's this concept that the box, you know, don't run many sets and it's true because the offense is much more flow based but um they do have some very interesting and nice plays that they do run and the latest one i saw is the one which i mentioned on twitter which is uh the two alley oops between uh, yeah. delhi and brogdon which were amazing and that's you know it's a basic uh hawk set where you know there's uh one ball, ball hunter is uh you know has the ball to the left side or to the right side of the wing and there's one of the bigs that sets a back screen for the other guard who cuts the basket. But it's an interesting way to, to run the set because if you see those last two plays, they don't wait for the defense to set. It's between 17 and 19 seconds uh, on the clock. It's, you know, kind of like semi-transition. And usually when this the hawk set is run, you know, you, you wait for the big to be on the far side of the paint along with one of the wings and then you know the guard is going to cut so the bucks run it faster than normal and it's actually pretty nice i liked it a lot as well as the the amazing player with tony snell who you know spent a game screening the hell out of, out of anyone who you know wasn't brogdon yeah was amazing. i love that one um and i mean it speaks to a larger point i think both of us have mentioned on t- twitter dean that you you want your best screeners to be your best shooters like that that can really make yeah. that makes things a lot easier and um I, I think that's always something that might get looked over a little bit with the warriors like steph curry actually gets dirty and sets screens and when he does that he gets open almost immediately after it so um that's just something to keep a lookout for uh with the bucks offensively all right moving to defense dean um like frank said i, I think you got I think maybe your biggest batch of followers uh, at all the Bucks after you kind of mapped out the Bucks defense and when they were blitzing and when they were being more aggressive and less aggressive. And it was in that time where uh, 
Jason Kidd would deny that any changes would be made to this scheme <laughs> to anyone locally, uh, and then two weeks later decided to tell the the H- Utah Jazz's sideline reporter that there was actually changes. Um, but I guess when you look at the Bucks' defense, this is something I know that you and I have talked about before, but for the last three weeks, can you actually see trends? Eh. <laughs> uh, well, I can see trends in two games, and then no. Then for the next two games, and then no. Um, the, the thing, the major thing that I'm seeing is that the box are trying to switch more, not very successfully. Um, the under Liggins has never, never switched correctly <laughs> in one play in his life. It's amazing. If he tries to switch anything, it's, it's going to turn out with him falling down, or, you know, just wide open three. Um, well, I've noticed some things that have changed. I think that the Bucks are still very, how should I say it? Uh, they're confused as, as to what they're supposed to be doing yeah. on the defensive end because I think that maybe falls on Jason Kidd's soldiers because he changes the defense inside the game. It's amazing. I mean, he can, you know, have one defense for two quarters and then, you know, second half is going to be a different defense. Um... So I have an interesting story. Um, I play chess online when I'm, you know, in a different country to spend time. And there's this time control that's called Blitz in chess. And every time I play Blitz chess, you know, I half expect Thornmaker to come out and, you know, <laughs> hard heads or something. <laughs> so wait, wait, run around frantically. <laughs> so I'm saying that because I, I think that Thornmaker is... Um, Maybe an NBA player. <laughs> um, by the way, by the way, we should we should tell people like when we we got on the on Skype today with Dean, we had never talked to Dean before, and he was just he had bits. I right. mean, he was right. He was coming at us. He was he was coming at us. I mean, he had the impression of Eric <laughs> down with with that. I mean, this the not surprising given the amount of work Dean puts into uh, to his <laughs> analytical work that he also you know came prepared. I mean, we didn't really talk about much going uh, going into this pod, and I think you know, Dean, you're you're it's New Year's, so you're a couple glasses of wine deep. I, I was joking. You're you're like doing your Boris Diaw impression with a glass of wine. <laughs> in uh, in that closet that you're 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 talking to us from but um but we uh this 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 i mean i don't know how we took this long dean but i feel like uh i feel like we've been doing this for for a while so it's 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 nice good good work i feel the same way but i have no idea where my wine went (laughs) (laughs) okay i may have dropped it somewhere um i hope they don't mind oh anyway so i want to talk about filmmaker and uh um, even with the new defense, even if the defense is, you know, a bit uh, less aggressive, mid-workers conservative, um, he's really not sure what he's supposed to be doing. He still hedges sometimes, he still blitzes, he shows hard, he's, he ices and then, you know, decides that, well, I'm not going to ice anymore. I mean, you know, he's going to heads hard when he's not supposed to. And he does many things that make much sense. He forgets about the defense he's supposed to be playing on his man. So it's a tough stretch for him. Um, I think that he can get better at it. I'm not really excited about finding out how much better he can get at it. <laughs> but um, I think that combined with the Andrew Liggins, they're an amazing defensive duo. I mean, it's they, always, they always seem to be on the court together, too. Yeah, that's a great idea by Jason Kidd. 
I mean, I would do it too. It's so funny. I mean, I would be laughing all the time on the bench. <laughs> okay, so looking at this Bucks defense, uh, you mentioned the fact that maybe they're not, they're certainly not conservative yet, but maybe a little bit less aggressive. What are those less aggressive tendencies, and how are you seeing uh, just th- just seeing them play less aggressive defense? Like, what are those keys that you that you're really circling and and able to see that? Okay, those are those are changes that they have made from the start of the year and from what they have done in the previous years. Okay, so the defense is uh, composed of quite a few things. One of the most basics is the pick and roll defense. It's the way you counter a pick and roll. And the box used to have pretty much three things they do. It would be a blitz, which is known as a hard show, when one defender um, is on the ball handler and when the screen comes, the screener's defender just stays on the ball handler and they trap him. Or they would do a heads, which is the same thing, but the big uh, defender is going to you know, get on top of the ball handler and then run back. And there's there's going to be one of the weak side uh, players who's going to jump to ha- to um, you know get in the way of the rolling man, and they would also ice, which is actually a pretty good defense. It's supposed mm-hmm. to be you know to drive the player away from the center of the field. He's you know to avoid middle middle penetration, and they've stopped doing that after the Jazz game, which was you know I showed some videos of how they dismantled the Bucks defense because they knew. Before even you know the, the screen was set, they they knew that there was going to be some help from the backside, and they just flipped the pass to the quarter for an open three. So now the box are doing something a bit different in with regards to the pick and roll defense. They try to drop, which is another type of defense where you know the big man is not going to follow the the opposing screener up to the level of the screen. He's going to drop back. Or he's going to soft show, which is he's going to follow the screener, but only up to the level of the screen. And then he's going to drop back again, which is, you know, leads to more mid-range, mid-range jumpers, which, you know, might be more open. But as we said, there are less efficient shots. But the problem with the Bucks defense still is that they may have, you know, toned down the aggressiveness on the pick and roll coverage, but they're still very aggressive when it comes to backside helping post doubling and generally over helping on the you know the weak side and on the back side. So when when the Bucks are kind of at their back, I mean we we have obviously seen you know, maybe the last couple of games they've looked better. There was a long stretch of games there where they did not look good defensively, um, and there but there have been some better stretches with blood. So I mean, it, is there something that that you see from them? Like I mean, is there because this is kind of one of the things they always struggle with is. You know, they're kind of two components, right? We can talk about how the Bucks scheme has has been, you know, poorly conceived for years, right? And that, okay, now they're finally changing things, but, you know, okay, changing it midway through a season isn't like, you know, it's not like a, a switch you flip and then the team just has it and they're going to be able to execute it properly. But even so, I mean, like, I feel like you could have an aggressive scheme and if it was coached really well and the players picked it up really well, you could be fine defensively, right? You wouldn't be condemned to being the 25th worst, you know, 25th, you know, ranked defense in the league every year just because, you know, your scheme was more aggressive. I mean, we talk a little bit about like Atlanta's been, had more aggressive schemes historically, um, and they've obviously been way better than the Bucks in, in recent years. I mean, when you look at this and you've been watching this and you're seeing what they've been doing differently, you obviously know the personnel, some of the guys who struggle with these things, some of these guys who don't. I mean, if you if you had, you know, you, you know, your chance to say, OK, this is what I think the Bucks should do. 
I mean, what would you what would you say are sort of the keys? And obviously, you know, ultimately it has to be you know taught and executed well. But just in terms of like practical nature, I mean, and it could it could be you know rotations get into this as well. But I don't know. I mean, what what do you think are like the easy like the easiest things that you could do to try to make this Bucks defense better, more consistent, um, and just playing at a higher level? And obviously, we've seen in years. Uh, well, if the defense is gonna you know remain aggressive, uh, there's have to be some changes. As to the level of, you know, where the big man is going to come up the screen. Um, if he's going to show hard, then he should be positioned correctly on the outside of the screen. And then the other players who are going to be on the weak side need to be uh, in spots that are pretty predetermined. And most of the time, the Bucks don't do that. And we're talking about spots that are, you know, um, a couple of feet of margin where he can be. And if you're like, I don't know, five inches outside that, point, uh, it's going to lead to an open three away. Um, the thing that I would change in the Bucks defense would be, well, actually, I think that right now, at this point in the season, there's not much that can be done. I think that defensive changes take time to implement. Um, maybe the uh, oh, I want to talk about, actually, um, as mentioned, I think by Eric as well, the Bucks have been very unlucky when it comes to opponent three-point shooting. Right. I mean, they were above 40% uh, opponent three-point percentage for like well, 25 games into the season. Now they're down to 39.2%, and that's because in the last eight games, um, opponents are shooting 36.3%, which, you know, it's pretty average number, a bit above average. Um, so the box defense is not as bad as it's been. I mean, it's not supposed to be one of the, you know, 10 worst defenses in the league. That's mainly affected by how poorly they actually, how well the opponents shot the three point shot. Um, but uh, I would maybe change the way that the, they're trying to, you know, have the big men go so far out in any case, because even where they're dropping the big man, especially Hansen is going to come out really hard and then he's going to drop back which creates a big problem at the rim. And that's why the box are one of the, they're allowing one of the highest uh, amount of uh, field goal attempts at the rim because they're inviting players to go to get to the rim. Uh, but other than that, I think that switching is a great idea for the box, especially when, you know, they're playing Giannis at the center position. Um, they could try going under some screens, but not on Donovan Mitchell <laughs> as they did against the Utah. Gary, Gary Payton didn't get that memo. Dean. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, when you're playing against I don't know, Rubio or Smart, you should be going under the screen because even if you get the re-screen, which is the, you know, the counter to going under the screen, um, it doesn't really matter what um, you know, Smart is going to do. You can just drop further back and he's not going to, you know, you can live with him taking a pull-off shot from anywhere on the, on the court. Um, there are many things that I would, I would change, actually, but ah, that's going to be something that I'm going to talk about in the next series of articles I'm going to write about the box. That, that's that's what in the industry is known as a tease. Well done. Um, yeah, and just to kind of yeah, just to put some color to to what Dean mentioned. I mean, th- that's kind of one of the unfortunate things about this Bucks season defensively is that you know justifiably there was a lot of. Uh, concern around the Bucks giving up threes the last few years. I mean, they were bottom 10 in the league in terms of total three-point attempt rate as like a share of total um, shot frequency by the opponents for, you know, basically four years. And then this year, they're 11th, right? So they actually 
are okay in terms of the number of three-pointers that are being attempted. Um, they're still 20th in corner threes, so they're still bad there, but they were 29th or 30th the previous three years, so they've at least reduced that number, you know, uh, notably, even if it's not perfect. Um, and they're seventh in terms of the number of non-corner threes allowed. Um, but as Dean mentioned, you know, teams are shooting this ridiculous rate, and I know Dean early in the season, you know, kind of did some some math to just sort of say, like, well, how much is that, you know, costing you Per game, I mean, it, it adds up, right? I mean, that that definitely will knock you down the rankings a bit, and and I mean, that's real real points if if a team's shooting, you know, forty percent rather than thirty five percent, you know, given just the number of threes that teams are taking. So I think there's like there, there's a there's something positive there, but as Dean was saying, you know, and and maybe it's not just a one for one kind of trade off thing, but um, the Bucks have been terrible for basically since the 11 12 season I'm using cleaning the glass data since the 11 12 season they have been 27th or worst in terms of the share of opponent shots that come at the rim and they're 30th again this year so that that number continues to just be terrible and you know there's probably a lot of different reasons for it um obviously the aggressiveness you know the fact that you know maybe maybe they are getting better at closing out and flying at guys on the perimeter um but they're also probably also leaving themselves to be easier to drive drive on um on when you know when you close out hard and um obviously there's there's other issues as well i mean you know the defensive rebounding isn't great so you have offensive rebounds things like that but um there's definitely a lot of work to do and i would agree with dean and i don't eric you i think you're probably in a similar boat but you know it's it's kind of frustrating because I think if we had seen some of these changes, like the you know more conservative dropping, switching more, and I know some of that switching stuff they talked about in, in in camp as well doing, but if they were more, I think if they had started the summer committed to doing more of that, I think we'd have a much fairer gauge of what this team was capable of doing that you know executing that kind of scheme and how well this coaching staff could actually teach a scheme like that, um, because right now it's it's kind of a fits and starts thing, and sometimes it works. And sometimes it doesn't work at all. And obviously, you know, overall, the Bucks are still in a pretty bad place defensively, you know, in the last couple of games notwithstanding. So I don't know, Eric, if you had a... No, as I say, we're at, a, we're at the point where, like, if I know Dean is watching the game after me, uh, and I'm, I'm trying to think the last home game I know he was, I was, like, trying to tell him, like, okay, there's going to be a missed switch here at this point, and that might be something you want to like cut and we all we always end up talking about how more switches are nice but like you also have to execute switches and the bucks are not great at it right now and and like you said i'd be very curious to see what this bucks defense was like if they would have implemented some of these things obviously this is still a, a system that leans aggressive as as too conservative, but if some of these things would have been implemented before this season, I think you see them execute it at a much higher level. And then maybe you're looking at a team that's in the middle of the pack defensively, as opposed to where they are right now. So I think that would be interesting. I would agree. So Dean, maybe the moving off from the, the offensive of defense, kind of the tactical stuff that, that obviously, you know, people, people who follow you on Twitter know you, you really get into the details on, which is awesome. Um, kind of looking at the rest of the season. I mean, you know, Eric and I talked a bit about expectations, how good this team should be last week. Um, you know, there's obviously a bunch of variables uh, that go into that. And, and, you know, right now the Bucks sitting at 19 and 15, they've got a pretty difficult schedule coming up. We're recording this before uh, the New Year's Day game against the Raptors on Monday. Um, I mean, w- w- you know, looking at this team and following it as closely as you do, I mean, what, you know, obviously there are a lot of variables, especially with Jason Kidd and all these other things. But, I mean, if you kind of look out, you know, we've got Jabari Parker coming back at some point, probably um, in maybe a month 
five weeks. I don't know, maybe sooner. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, what what do you think? What do you think this team should be capable of doing? And if I don't know if you want to then draw the comparison of of what you actually think will happen. But I mean, if you look into your crystal ball, you're, you're already in the future. You're in 2018. <laughs> we're still stuck in 2017. Um, what what do you kind of expect to see from this team moving forward over the next few months? As as we kind of you know we're almost at the midway point of the season. What do you think? Uh, what would be your best guess as to what the Bucks should be able to do and what they actually will do? Well, my educated guess, after looking at my glass of wine, is <laughs> that I have no idea what the Bucks are going to do because never trust the Bucks. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> I would expect with uh, the players that the Bucks do have that they should be a 53 to 55 win team. They're not going to be that team this year. Um, I have no idea what they're going to do. They might get better. I can predict that they will not go above 15th in defensive rating, actually 16th. Excuse me, because if you have a look at the defensive ratings, there are actually tiers which you can find. Um, Between the 16th rank and the 30th rank, the difference is 3.9 uh, actually, 3.5 points per 100 possessions. And the difference between the 16th and the 15th defensive rating is 1.4. Mm. And after that, it go, goes way up to, up, uh, I think it's like 5 points per 100 to the first. So I think that the box ceiling is around the 16th in defensive rating if they do get better. I think that offensively, offensively they're going to keep getting better. As I mentioned in the article that I wrote, um, the Bucs are actually doing much better now. Their offensive rating when Giannis is off the court is climbing steadily. Uh, it's reached the point where it's up, thinking about uh, 108 in the last eight games. So I think they should be moving towards, you know, sixth or uh, seventh in offensive rating. I would predict that they're going to finish around, I don't know, 47 wins, 46 wins. And the playoffs are an entirely different story because, you know, I don't know how, what Tabar is going to be doing for the team, if he's going to be on the team, how Giannis is going to perform in the playoffs. So, I don't know. I uh, hope all, I know, all, I know all I know is that Jabari is going to give you so many opportunities to dissect plays and how, you know, defensive breakdowns can happen because we know that Jabari is a savant. Jabari is a savant at many things, but unfortunately one of them is making horrible decisions uh, on defense. So um, that, that might be one thing. I think Eric, you're going to, you're going to be, you know, sending Dean messages. Oh, check out this play. <laughs> Actually, Jabari. Jabari is like the only person who doesn't make decisions on defense. He just stands there for some, <laughs> some plays. It's amazing. I remember one from last year against, uh, I think it was the Nets, and he, um, I think it was uh, Dinwiddie, and he, you know, he chose to drive middle, and Jabari just stood there. He didn't do anything. It was an amazing play. <laughs> but uh, I, just, I just live for the moment that, you know, Jabari, and I hope DeAndre Liggins, uh, you know, uh, contract is picked up so that he, filmmaker and uh, Jabari Parker can play all <laughs> <laughs> at the same time. 
There's going to be a play where they all just like run into each other and fall down like a set of pins, <laughs> and uh, it, that's that's the that's the best chance the Bucks have at a Shackton a full uh, defensive moment, probably. If not, I mean, they already have a number of them. But uh, Dean, one last question, or actually, I shouldn't speak for Frank. He might have ten more questions. Um, but one thing I was wondering, you mentioned fifty-three to fifty-five. I think you said uh, for wins. What is it about this team that? that suggests that is is that just Giannis brilliance or is it that there is enough talent surrounding them that they should be able to win that many games I think it's about 75% Giannis and 25% that there is enough depth for this team that they should be better than well, pretty much anyone except, you know, the Cavs and okay. the Raptors. I, I, will, I will take that. I, I was just curious because I, I know we often talk about it, and obviously you had that great stat that uh, got referenced by our friend Ben Thompson on Bill Simmons' podcast about the, was it 32 PR or is it 31? Um, 31.4. Yeah. <laughs> Which is just, just ludicrous. Um, Frank, you got anything else? No, I mean, I think the the upside is, we now have Dean's Skype account and he has ours. <laughs> so um, we should do this again soon. And um, we'll, we'll make sure that we, we uh, ply Dean with wine again soon. And uh, um, maybe not on New Year's Eve, but uh, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to making this a more of a recurring thing, especially as Dean starts to crank out some of these, uh, some of these columns for brew hoop, which obviously uh, is near and dear to my heart. And I'm, I'm happy and excited to see what, what Dean starts putting out there. Thank you guys. I would do a big thanks to, to Dean Maniat. All the Bucks on Twitter. Obviously, you guys have seen a, a lot of his work, and hopefully, you enjoyed the conversation we just had with him. And and like Frank said, he is now a brew hooper. Like like we both. I mean, I guess technically you still are. I was gonna say I once was a brew hooper as well, um, but I guess once once and forever. Yeah, I was gonna say you you, Eric, you don't. I, certainly, I might not have the same connection, but you, you like you birthed brew hoops, so uh, there's there's a special connection for you there. Um, but yeah, you can check out all of Dean's stuff there. I, I know we're both excited to see what it all looks like uh, when he actually is able to put some stuff together and publish it. And uh, it sounds like that'll be coming out on Tuesday. So exciting stuff there! Again, follow him at All the Bucks. Look for him on Twitter and look for him on another one of our podcasts in the next month or so doing great impressions of both Frank and I. Um, so we will have that for you. What we also wanted to do is there was a basketball game on Friday night um, and the Bucks won it. And maybe they shouldn't have. Uh, a, a bit of a confusing finish there in Oklahoma City. The Bucks win 97-95 over the Oklahoma City Thunder. Russell Westbrook has a huge night, uh, 40 points for him, uh, just a rebound short of a triple-double, but on the night, 40 points, 14 rebounds, 9 assists, uh, and a steal for Westbrook, and uh, no Paul George that night, but it was just not enough for the the Thunder that night, Uh, and the Bucks end up winning it on a controversial take to the basket from Giannis Adetokounmpo as he's able to get baseline and get very baseline. Um, he, he actually got on the baseline uh, as he drives to the basket there, ends up finishing with a two-hand dunk over Russell Westbrook uh, with just a, a little bit of time left there and puts the Bucks up 97-95. The Thunder do end up getting a shot late. It does not go in. And the play ends up being, though it was it was pretty clear that Giannis was out of bounds, his foot was on the line, 
it's not reviewable because a call wasn't made. Because you to review a call, there needs to be one. You can't just review the game of basketball just happening around you. So um, the league came out and said, obviously, we missed one. Uh, we missed his foot there on the baseline. That would have obviously been a turnover for Giannis, and then that would have turned into a 95-95 game, and the Thunder probably get a shot with, oof, I'm not, I'm not even 100% sure what it would be. Um, probably probably two seconds left or so as opposed to uh, I'm, I can't even remember what the number is anymore um, for I think it was like a sec they only had like a second left or something something like that I mean, just, just a, a throw court, you know, yeah full court so heat, basically. I guess it's probably maybe two seconds three seconds that they would have had instead of that uh, maybe we see overtime instead but instead Giannis gets the basket to count they uh, they count it it the Bucks go up 97-95 and end up winning 97-95. Uh, general thoughts from that game, or, or maybe you want to react to the ending of that one, Frank? Well, I mean, I think the the encouraging thing was obviously, the, especially the first quarter and the first half of that game, um, the Bucks jump out to a 33-11 to lead. And, um, you know, it, it was just nice, especially in the context of having seen how much the Bucks struggled against the Thunder in Milwaukee. I mean, the Thunder looked like, just a different class of team than the Bucks had seen up until that point, defensively in particular. And, you know, everything just seemed really hard for the Bucks in that game. You know, Robertson did a great job denying Giannis, even though Giannis had an efficient, I think he had 27 points that night. Um, you know, just doing anything on the perimeter, it just seemed like the Thunder were able to just blow up everything <laughs> in that game. And it was just like, you know, playing in quicksand. This game just very different in terms of, you know, the tempo. The the Thunder obviously missed a ton of shots early. I think, what was it, like 16-2 to two at one point. Um, they had turnovers. The Bucks, you know, had lots of kind of runouts. Um, and being able to get into offense early, we saw, you know, Tony Snell in particular um, shooting a lot of threes, which was great to see. He ends up 4 out of 10 on the night uh, from D. And um, I thought, you know, just just it just seemed like the Bucks were just better prepared for what the Thunder like to do. You know, we saw Stephen Adams zoning up when Giannis would get touches uh, on the wings. And, you know, in that first quarter, we saw a couple times John Henson finding the soft part of that defense and being a nice safety release valve for Giannis to find uh, in the middle of the lane for little hook shots. And, you know, obviously Giannis was finding guys along the perimeter as well. So, um, you know, just an encouraging thing to see the Bucks, you know, especially early on, um, seem to have a game plan, seem to have energy on the second night of a back-to-back and come out and, you know, take advantage of the fact that the other team is missing shots and they got into stuff early and moved the ball exceptionally well, I thought, right? I mean, I think that was one of the really other kind of standout things was just the ball movement, multiple passes. And, um, you know, again, obviously the offense did not click at that level uh, for the entirety of the game. Um, but, you know, certainly for long stretches, um, we saw very good things from the Bucks, And um, obviously, you know, even with Paul George out, you win a game in OKC, um, you're never going to be complaining. Yeah, too Thunder were 14 and four at home before that one. So Bucks give them their fifth loss at home on the season and uh, obviously moved to 19 and 15. And it's interesting. So often when we've seen the Bucks get wins since Eric Bledsoe came to the team, it's OK. Well, if they won, then that means Giannis and Chris and Bledsoe all played well, and that wasn't the case. Is Eric Bledsoe picked up four falls? Uh, I'm trying to think exactly when it was, but first half, um, and again where he's just unable to uh, keep his hands off there and uh, picks up a couple cheap ones, and you just end up in a spot where Bledsoe ends the night with eight points, four of 13 shooting, and it's kind of 
some of the others. Uh, uh, Middleton still goes for 20. Uh, Giannis goes for 23. But John Henson, 18 points on 8 of 12 shooting and also adds in two assists, six rebounds. Uh, Tony Snell with 15. With 15 four blocks. Uh, yeah, and four blocks. And Tony Snell with 15 points. So it's kind of, again, there's not a ton of uh, bench production there. Uh, but to have a starter not named... Giannis, Chris, or Eric go off and have two of them on a specific night is kind of really nice to see. And obviously, I wrote an article about John Henson last week at ESPN Wisconsin, and it's he just continues kind of kind of to play well. There's there have been a couple games where maybe he's sleepwalked at moments throughout it, but he just continues to be solid in roughly 28 of their 48 minutes at center every night, uh, and he just. Again, we we always talk about how there are there can be weeks where John is good, there can be months where John is good, there can be nights where John is good, uh, and then there's always kind of a drop off. Things start to to go wrong. Maybe he gets an injury. Maybe he just ends up having just a, a couple of bad games, and then it all goes into the tank. and And that just hasn't happened with Henson. He's been he's been really solid throughout this entire season, and um, I think it's really impressive just thinking about where we were with him before the season. Where I mean, we were we we're making jokes about how he needs to get playing time so he can have better trade value or any trade value. And you would read stuff. Uh, I think Zach Lowe had it where no one on earth was going to touch that John Henson contract because it had that third year and no one was going to be willing to trade for it. And again, I don't, I don't think we're in a spot where people are actively looking to trade for John Henson, but he has played well enough now that that, that contract uh, he's performing to it. That, that, 10-ish million he's performing to um, thus far this year. And uh, it's just been really good to see for him. Yeah, and, and happy birthday to Henson. He uh, turned 27 on uh, December 28th. Another guy, like we, I think sometimes people are still thinking of him as a young guy, but, I mean, he's in the prime yeah. of his career, right? I mean, he, he, he needs, you know, if he's going to play at a high level, it's it's kind of now or never. And, um, you know, credit to him because uh, most of us, I think, had given up on the idea of Henson being a, a productive, you know, starter for sure. Hand. Guilty, um, guilty, right here. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. I mean, we, we've talked and joked about that a lot. But, um, you know, and I mean, his, his scoring per minute numbers are tied with last year, career low. Um, his rebounds are actually the highest since his rookie year, but not like crazy high, 10.9 per 40. Um, but 61% true shooting in spite of the fact that his free throw percentage is down again. Um, you know, he's just been really efficient scoring, you know, doing kind of, you know, he's been very low usage. He's going in the Tony Snell camp uh, of declining usage, um, just 14.4% this year. But um, rebounding, again, his best numbers, you know, percentage-wise since uh, since his rookie year. And, um, you know, again, uh, he, he's not uh, a game changer per se but uh he's figured out how to be a solid yep. you know role player and obviously on a bucks team that that lacks depth at the center position that's been very important so i think that's been big because as you said the worst thing you know the one of the worst things when you have a star player is that you have other pieces that are getting paid 10 11 12 whatever million dollars and they don't contribute at all and they're just dead weight you're not getting anything out of them and obviously that was a big concern coming into this year with with henson delhi and mirza you know how do you get value out of those guys um and henson certainly has stepped up and i, I mean delhi i thought played well on friday on friday in spite of the fact that he didn't yep. hit a shot didn't score a point he was zero out of four over two from three um but nine assists and you know in general you know again i mean 
Delhi is a flawed guy. <laughs> you know, he he's going to dribble more than you probably want him to. Um, but he also, you know, he, he can be pretty heady, too. And he's a scrappy guy. You're going to like him when he's sitting screens um, and he continues to throw. Um, we alluded to it in the, the discussion with Dean. But um, the Bucks have been kind of throwing more of these sort of um, surprise alley-oops uh, <laughs> yeah. these last few games. We're basically throwing him basically with, you know, usually a guard. Uh, Dean mentioned it's kind of a hawk set where, you know, basically you're setting a back screen and, um, you know, there's a variant of this where we've seen Tony Snell get free for layups off yep. Delhi passes a fair bit, even going back into earlier season. But now they're kind of running a, an alley-oop variant of it that I think Bledsoe and Brogdon have now scored off of the last few games. So, um, you know, again, Delhi being have, having that good chemistry, good ability to read the defense. I think Delhi even threw an alley-oop to Fawn in the last – was it – I don't know if it – I think it was uh, – was it on Friday? Sometime in the last week, Delhi threw an it alley-oop was, I think it was Fawn on you know, Friday. No, yeah, which we rarely ever see. Um, and he had uh, another one to Giannis where he got fouled and, and got a couple free throws. So, um, so yeah, I mean, that's important because, you know, as, as much as you want to rely on Bledsoe and, and Brogdon, um, you know, the upside is you, you've got, I mean, you don't have a lot of other depth, obviously, at, at shooting guard and at the wings. Um, I was surprised to not see DeAndre Liggins for the yeah. second straight game, but thankfully we didn't. Um, and the Bucks defense is now... Shock, you know, I'm, and again, I'm not going to blame all this on DeAndre Liggins. He's not like the sole reason the Bucks' defense has been bad. That that's totally unfair. But um, but he's certainly not been part of the defensive solution. And clearly, he's a very bad offensive player. So the fact that they've you know gone back and and been able to weight those minutes more towards Bledsoe, Brogdon, Delhi, um, you know, that's certainly a positive. And short bench um, on Friday again, just nine guys, as you mentioned. The bench didn't give you much. Brogdon only had seven. Didn't take a lot of shots. But um, you know, this was one of those games, and you know, ultimately. The maybe the more is more the early defense yeah. than the late defense because they obviously built that big lead and just sort of hung on. Um, but you know, again, Westbrook 40 points but took 34 shots. Um, you know, I don't know what his true shooting was, but I think you know, he also took nine free throws. So, um, he was not giving you efficient offense. And, um, you know, other than the the play where he basically just destroyed Thon, uh, and sent him, you know, I don't know, dug him a grave and kicked him into it in one fell swoop. Um, you know, a lot of Westbrook taking pull-up jumpers and settling for shots and you know the bucks also uh gave up a very difficult one to to tie the game and we can argue that they maybe should have fouled in that situation but you know again i think there were still almost five seconds left on the clock when he hit it so you still had a chance to to make a play so um so yeah it was um it was a game that you know i think if you say that you're going to get a win in oklahoma city you're always pleased with that regardless of circumstances um nearly became a very costly one uh and eric bledsoe i mean the free throw shooting we we've had a lot of talk about you know jason kidd and when he wants his team to intentionally miss free throws i don't think he wanted them to miss seven straight free throws to end the game um but certainly that played a huge role in setting up the need for Giannis to even make that final play because Bledsoe with a couple chances to ice it up three um before Westbrook hit his game tying shot that you know should have been the game right there multiple other guys hit chances to to close it out as well and um you know the Bucks get bailed out a bit with uh, with Giannis making a play regardless of whether his foot was in bounds or not well <laughs> I know it wasn't but but um but I mean, regardless, regardless of, you know, obviously we, we can say, well, it shouldn't have counted, but um, a pretty amazing play regardless. I mean, obviously it wasn't like he, you know, ran out of bounds and everybody stopped playing and then he ran back inbounds and dunked it. I mean, it, the physicality required to make that play, um, he barely had enough lift left to get over Westbrook, who came over and put in a valiant effort to block it. Um, but uh, just a hell of a, a play. And, and it also very, it was great to see them go yep. to Giannis in that situation because I think given what we normally see, especially late in games, you know, Giannis 
because he's so good as a pick and roll guy, unfortunately, oftentimes gets marginalized a little bit because the ball doesn't flow through him as directly. And, you know, I, I was not excited about the idea of, you know, another Chris Middleton ISO on like Andre yeah. Robertson or something. Like and that. I mean, even light in games too, you, you saw it when Bledsoe, like, every time they run something with Bledsoe, uh, he hits that jumper that puts him up 95-90, and it was one of those where, okay, we're going to run pick and roll with Giannis, and then, oh, look at that. Both defenders are glued to him, and they're asking Eric Bledsoe to to take a pull-up jumper. And uh, to Bledsoe's credit, he hits it, but, man, it was it was a tough shot uh, for a guy that at that moment was three of 12, I think uh, for him to have the confidence to say, okay, I got this. I'll step up and, and hit this pull up jumper. Like that again, you can't, you can't fault Bledsoe for taking it for because it was the shot that they they wanted him to take. But at the same time, the Bucks are running that set late that that pick and roll look where it's going to be Bledsoe in the middle of the floor, and it, I can almost guarantee that Giannis is going to take two defenders with him, both Bledsoe's defender uh, and his own. So it's going to be on Bledsoe to hit those shots, and thus far this year he has been hitting those. So uh, good on him for hitting that one. Um, a couple, a couple other things. Whenever the Bucks want to just make sure they give Chris Middleton the ball to shoot late game free throws, I'd be totally cool. Like they should just do that. That'd be great. I, I would. I would prefer not to see. Eric Bledsoe take those anymore. Um, it, it just <laughs> it se- it seems like Bledsoe always misses one free throw. I mean, I was kind of shocked that he was hitting like seventy five percent coming into this game because it feels like he always splits his free throws. But um, but yeah, I mean, cr- we've talked about Middleton being like. I mean, he's been like 90% on the season. I think he did miss a technical free throw in the fourth quarter, but, um, uh, you know, he's missed like what? I think he missed like one. He was like 90-something percent uh, in like, like just give it, Like yeah. if you have free well, throws there at the end of the game, just give him the ball. And I just I, I just can't comprehend giving it to Bledsoe and again and again. And on Friday night, they had a chance. They had a chance to get it to Middleton, and instead it was Bledsoe. And it uh, like I, like I just said, Bledsoe has hit some big shots, and I am more than happy to give him credit for that, but I would just feel a lot more comfortable giving the ball to the guy that shoots 90% from the free throw line as opposed to the guy that shoots 75%. Yeah, Chris Middleton from the free throw line is not tough shot express. That's easy shot. That is cash. Uh, that is you know, local whatever. Um, but, yeah, totally agree. And I think um, you're just kind of looking at that. I mean, we talked about Henson. Not just what Henson provided, but um, – you know, we we can for those of you guys who remember the game in Milwaukee. I mean, Stephen Adams just, I mean, was a ton yeah. to quote John John McLaughlin. I mean, they they had no answer for him when he was rolling down the lane. Um, he got I don't know. I mean, it seemed like he got a bunch of offensive rebounds. He's 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 such a great player who doesn't. I mean, he's like one of those guys who like is a great player who doesn't put up great. God, great I want him to not play with um, Westbrook so badly. Yeah. Well, yeah, and I'm I'm a huge Stephen Adams fan, and you know he's one of those guys. Yeah, I'd I'd love to have. I mean, plus the fact that he just seems like a great dude. He gives great interviews. Um, just tough as nails. Um, but uh, great mustache. <laughs> um, but uh, but I mean, he Adams goes for six points on seven shots, seven boards, um, minus eight in 32 minutes. Um, you know, to to get Henson solidly outplaying Stephen Adams on it like this. I mean, that that's how you overcome 
you know, as you mentioned, Bledsoe struggling, being foul trouble, only 24 minutes for Bledsoe. Um, Middleton, you know, was was okay, um, 20 points, but 18 shots. You know, Giannis, 23 points on 16 shots, six assists, but, you know, five turnovers. Um, you know, as often happens, like his assists kind of dry up as the game goes on. And it, it's felt like he kind of, the, the Thunder did a nice job. I mean, they have a lot of kind of, you know, athletic mm-hmm. wing type guys. And, you know, like we said, Adams is good at kind of zoning up the strong side when Giannis had the ball. So there's what weren't always like lanes to just sort of like directly create for Giannis for himself. But um, kudos to Giannis. Six offensive rebounds for Giannis tonight. Had a big putback um, late in the game as well before obviously making that that move to uh, to win the game. So, um, so, yeah, I mean, it was, you know, again, um, not uh, a work of art, especially down the stretch. The middle quarters, Bucks score only 35 points in the middle quarters after 38 in the first quarter. Um, so, again, nothing to write home about there. But, uh, you know, not an easy place to play. Oklahoma City's been playing way better. And uh, even without Paul George, I mean, you know, offensively in particular, I mean, it's not like they don't have Carmelo Anthony sitting around happily looking for shots and i mean carmelo five out of 12 shooting just 12 points i mean <laughs> you know you, we, if we play the would you have taken this game um knowing that paul george is out that you limit mellow to 12 points on 12 shots uh i think we would have taken yep. that any day and obviously um between him and westbrook both having you know not exactly efficient nights um that that left a lot of a uh, lot of work left for the other guys and i couldn't believe it andre robertson did yes. hit a plus three for them and literally Literally, as I was as I was like watching the game, I was telling my wife that like, oh, yeah, you know, I was like, because when I'm watching the games, I'll often like swear at players and like weirdly talk trash to the opponents like from my from my living room. And I was saying something about like, you know, leave Andre Robertson all day like he can't, you know, hit for shit whatever and then like literally like like three seconds later, the ball goes into the corner. And actually, as he was shooting, I was just like, oh, God, I hope he doesn't actually make this. He actually did. So, um, but they survive Andre Robertson making a shot, which uh, which was exciting. That's some good trash <laughs> and, talk, right? Well um, yeah, exactly. And they avoid. Uh, I think on the broadcast, uh, it was noted that the Thunder had never come back from a twenty-two point deficit to win a game. So the Bucks avoid uh, being the victims of the biggest Thunder comeback in history. Which it seems like there have been a lot of big comebacks, including the Bucks being involved in, in one themselves against the Wolves. So um, at least they were able to avoid that uh, in this game. All on, right, on um, I think that should wrap it up. Uh, we'll keep it a little bit shorter today since we gave you uh, Dean for about an hour. Um, oh, one last thing, Frank. Uh, there, there's a night where Delhi didn't make any shots, uh, but played okay. I'm going to give you one chance. This is the only chance you'll get. Would you like to retract <laughs> your comment about him not being all that different from DeAndre Liggins? This is your only chance. Would you like to retract it? I will allow it to be struck from the record. <laughs> did, did I did I really say he was not that? Did I say I, I'm gonna deny? Okay, okay, I'm gonna sure. like I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna <laughs> deny that. I'm gonna. I'm, maybe I actually said that, but I'm just gonna deny that I said that. I'm gonna be presidential. It was, it was one of our more contentious um, moments where, like, I was actually like actively raising yeah. my voice on the podcast, and, and I try not to do. That. <laughs> well, I, 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 well, I also remember. I feel like, um, I, I also feel like I never got as excited about DeAndre Lincoln's defense early in the season as yeah. some people did, because um, I think it took, I think it took a little while for us to kind of like to to figure out that it really wasn't that good. it wasn't that effective like just being physical and fouling a lot doesn't actually necessarily help you that much but um but yeah i i i have 
I've been all over the map on Delhi. You know, I my my general feeling on Delhi has always been like, just give him the right role. Don't let him. Don't make him like dribble the ball or make not too many plays. And you know, he's not going to be worth his contract, but at least he can not hurt you. You know, and and hopefully be scrappy and whatever. And you know, I don't know. It seems like he kind of just oscillates between that, which was sort of you know probably the. Friday was kind of the ultimate deli game in terms of like not scoring a point, but like doing yeah. other stuff, passing and actually helping. Um, but obviously there are other nights where <laughs> it's not so great. Um, but, uh, but yeah, deli deli shout out to deli for, um, for being scrappy and useful. And I think the other thing too, with deli is like a lot of times, obviously in the past it's been, well, you know, since Bledsoe came over, it's like, well, is our deli minutes precluding more Brogdon minutes? And that's, that's obviously something that a lot of us yeah. have gotten frustrated over. I mean, Brogdon only played 21 minutes against the Thunder, right? I mean, you know, if you told me Brogdon played 21 minutes, I would say, what? Especially with mm-hmm. Bledsoe. I mean, it's it's a really weird minute distribution, right? Like, Bledsoe only plays 24 minutes. Della Vidova plays 25 minutes, and Brogdon plays 21 minutes. You know, almost kind of hard to see where the other minutes went. And, you know, Jason Terry playing 10 minutes. Tony hit Snell, a three. Um, that's part of the story. Yeah, Snell play, yes. and he deserved to play a lot of minutes. Obviously, he was he was guarding Westbrook for for long stretches. And again, I mean, not that Tony was like locking down Westbrook, but basically just giving him a lot of like jump shots. And you know, he hit some, but two for nine from three. And um, obviously, hey, he took a bunch of middle mid range jumpers. It seemed like he made a number of them. But you're gonna live with that, you know. I mean, like we were talking about, yeah, you live with that. I mean, I, even if he's a forty five percent mid range shooter, I mean that's still not really an efficient shot. So, um, so yeah, good for the Bucks. Giannis another forty minutes, two nights straight. Dios mio. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I this weekend looking at two off days, I was like, oh, thank God, give Giannis knee some some needed rest before this Raptors game, which obviously is is probably going to be. A yeah, it should be a good one. We'll see what happens in that one. We will talk about it after the game. Hopefully, you enjoyed our chat with Dean. Hopefully, you enjoyed us taking a, a quick look through the Thunder game from Friday night, and hopefully, you had a, a happy and safe New Year's Eve, and you are enjoying this hungover drinking a mimosa uh, on Tuesday morning on new year's day or just trying to survive in your own bed with a glass of water and some aspirin next to you um but either way this has been lockdown bucks we will talk to you tomorrow